quite a lot has changed over the last year. We've gone through one of the most rapid monetary tightening cycles on record, which understandably led to a very painful year in 2022 for both stocks and bonds. And a lot of the speculative froth in equities has been blown away. Think SPACs, ARK Innovation, other high-duration assets like that. But one other key change that has occurred is that for the first time in over a decade, investors no longer have to reach down the credit spectrum and take on additional risk in order to get a respectable yield. It was a very painful process to get to this point, and I think the $1 million question many of us are asking right now is, where do we go from here? This is Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. I'm your host, Matt Orton, and I invite you to join me and my colleagues as we discuss the latest trends and developments driving the markets. Visit us at marketsinfocuspodcast.com for additional episodes and insights. The market and the Fed are finally starting to converge with respect to the terminal rate and the idea that higher for longer actually means just that. As the debate about the economic outcome continues, whether it's a hard landing, a soft landing, or no landing, it's easy to look at the very attractive yields on money market funds and short-term treasuries and just decide to hide out. I mean, after last year, why not? But there are better ways to position yourself where you can still capture a compelling yield while also balancing risks and opportunity costs. And it all comes down to asset allocation. This worrying discussion really needs to be dove into much deeper. And to help us do that today, I've brought back James Camp, Managing Director of Fixed Income and Strategic Income at Eagle Asset Management, as well as Burton Mulford, Portfolio Manager and Trader for Eagle Asset Management's Tax Advantage Portfolios. So James and Bert, thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be with you, Matt. Very good. So let's just dive right in. You know, we've seen periods in the past where investors have run to these shorter-term treasuries and money market funds to lock in a higher yield. But these periods don't last for too long, and these investments aren't truly riskless. So, James, maybe you can comment on some of the risks that investors don't often consider. Yeah, Matt, thank you for the question. This is the first time in in multiple decades that we've had to confront the idea of purchasing power protection for investors. And what we see with investors typically is they'll look at the yield number and they'll be attracted to to the highest yield. But what we know about short-term yields is they're very fluid. As As you mentioned, over the past 12 months, we've been in this aggressive rate tightening cycle. In fact, one of the most aggressive on records. But we also know that as the economy moderates, perhaps slows, soft, hard, whatever landing, that the Federal Reserve and short-term rates will not be here two years from now. So implicitly in buying short-dated instruments is an idea that that instrument will be reinvested. Now, to be sure, if a client has cash in a cash equivalent as an asset class in their asset allocation, these are very generous cash yields. If the client has a need for long-term income and fixed income diversification, short-term instruments will not do that. So what we've seen is the 10-year treasury go from 40 basis points at the peak trough, depending upon how you look at it during COVID, to almost 4%. That is an historic move in intermediate and long-term yields. Those yields relative to history, and in fact, relative to any other income-producing asset, think dividend stocks or other income surrogates, 
is actually very generous. You couple that with the fact that corporate bond spreads are additive to that treasury yield, and you're getting to the point with intermediate and, and longer-term taxable bonds where you're earning an actuarial return that fits a retirement or long-term goal. So reinvestment risk is key. Purchasing power protection is key and recognition that, yes, this has been an aggressive Fed tightening cycle, but ultimately inflation will moderate, will slow, and ultimately uh, the Federal Reserve will not be at these overly restrictive rates two years from now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, this this too shall pass. And I think one other item to maybe go into is, is the idea of opportunity costs. Um, you know, what comes to mind immediately is, is municipal bonds as well. After a really rough stretch last year, we finally saw a turn in some really good outperformance from Munich starting in November. And I think municipal bonds in 2023 so far have posted their second best start to a year in over 30 years. So, Bert, maybe it would be it's a great time to, to get some color on the rally we've seen lately. And do you think it can continue for those that might want to come off the sidelines or who are sitting in their four or four and a half, five percent short term treasuries? You know, is there still value? Sure. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, to put things into perspective, as of October 31st of last year, the high grade benchmarks, the Bloomberg seven year was down nine point six percent. And the 15-year was down 14.5%. The next two months, we saw a significant rally. The seven-year closed at down 5.9%. So it rallied about 370 basis points of performance. And then the 15-year closed down 9.4%. So that rallied 510 basis points. So we saw a significant reawakening in the relative value for the muni asset class. Uh, January was very strong. Seasonally, January is strong in the muni market because you have a lot of bonds that mature on January 1st. So that redemption period is very high. That money's got to find a home. So there was a chase for bonds. And coupled with the lack of new issuance, the deals were not uh, prolific. So the performance for January was very strong, as you mentioned, 2.5% and up 3% for those two benchmarks. February, we saw some softening. And right now in March, we're kind of in a wait and see attitude because there's a lot of uncertainty with respect to inflation and the impact with what the Fed's going to do on muni relative value. So putting that all together then, I mean, you know, if, if people are looking to get back into the market, would you say they've missed an opportunity or you think there's still relative value for people who want to continue to allocate to the space? There is significant seasonality in our market. March historically is the worst performing month for munis. And a lot of that is tied to tax season. Going into April 15th, there's typically selling pressure from retail investors to pay tax bills. Why munis and not other asset classes? Munis are not used in qualified plans. So there's a tax incentive in a taxable account to generate some sales to you know, pay taxes so, and, and do some you know, tax loss or restructuring. So we think right now is a good time to put money to work because the new issue calendar is really accelerated and ramped up. So the forward calendar for munis has almost doubled in terms of size. So I think now is a good time to at least consider putting money to work. Yeah, that's great. And I think 
along the same lines to bring James back in, you know, thinking of the massive moves we've just seen this year uh, with respect to the the market aligning itself more of, of where where the Fed is going to go and what higher for longer means. You know, what would you say, James, to someone who doesn't think that the sell-off in bonds is done, that there's still more room to to the downside? I mean, after all, two-year yields are still within, I mean, we passed the November 22 highs, could be pushing, you know, five plus percent. Uh, what would you say to an investor who, who thinks that? Yeah, Matt, to, to the point of, of is it done, I, I would agree with the hypothetical. I think the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise short-term rates. I think the summer months, we're going to get into some relatively easy comps on inflation. So at least the headline data is going to stay high for a while. And what we would say about the 10-year Treasury is it's likely to move marginally higher from here. We do think it will end the year lower as we begin to see the reality of economic slowdown, perhaps recession in, in the back half. But the most important thing we can tell folks is absolutely nothing wrong with using some of the short-end yield and the generosity of the short-term yields, uh, as well as the, as the memory. I mean, 2022 was difficult. So to bring clients back into the market, you know, things like barbelling, to, to put some money to work in the, the, the short-end, to get some yield there, to get some safety there, but not to let these opportunities, intermediate long-term assets go for the begging when we'll wake up a couple of years from now and wish we'd lock some of that up. And we know, particularly in moments of transition, and this is decidedly a moment of transition from deflation to inflation, low rates to higher rates, uh, the idea of dollar cost averaging is evergreen, but particularly important at this point in time. So if a client has, let's just say, the ability to fund a, a bond account, it is either through uh, direction on the advisor to DCA, uh, which we can certainly do, or it's at the advisor's execution to have some short-term assets and then open a bond account. That seems very reasonable in this particular time. The other thing I will tell you to dovetail a bit on my colleague Bert Mulford's comment is using the SMA platform or individual bonds in whatever form, however they are presented to you, is incredibly important at this particular moment. The fund complex is moving in fits and starts with these volatilities. NAVs are fluctuating in kind with that. Uh, and we think this is really the period where uh, individual assets are going to shine. They will continue to do well, we believe, relative to more passive vehicles. And, and then I, I would also say in terms of bond allocation, 2022 was difficult for correlations. We, we had a massive move in short rates. We had a regime shift. Correlations move positive. Bonds will return at these yields and these valuations to their rightful place as a diversifier. Cash investments are not diversifiers, and that's important to remember. So that's a great segue to what I want to touch on next, which is the idea of asset allocation. Um, to what you were saying, you know, sure, you can hang out in cash or money market funds, but it's not a true asset allocation. And you can probably get a similar yield through a more thoughtful asset allocation approach and, and also have the opportunity for capital appreciation as well. So, so James, this I know is your area of expertise. How are you approaching asset allocation right now, both within fixed income and also within fixed income and equities more broadly? Great question, Matt. First and foremost, the inflection point has occurred where bonds are now out yielding stocks. For a while, that was not the case over the past decade. From an asset allocation perspective, we are near-term cautious on rates. 
That is because, as you mentioned in the, in the beginning, inflation is more menacing. There's more inertia behind it. The Fed has much more work to do. There's vulnerability on the short end of the curve and a little vulnerability on the long end, at least for the next quarter or so. The other side of that equation, as I mentioned at the top, is purchasing power protection and the fact that inflation is unlikely to go back to long-term trend of 2% anytime soon. For investors and, and, and advisors to keep clients whole from a wealth and purchasing power perspective, there's going to have to be some compounding of income. And compounding of income usually takes the place in our portfolios of dividend and dividend paying stocks, which continue to grow, continue to pay, and continue to compound. At the moment, we have a reasonably high allocation to cash and cash equivalents because there's limited yield give up to do that. We are still, we believe, in a let's see what the economic slowdown really looks like. We are firmly in the belief that we will have one. More importantly, we're of the belief that margin compression, that earnings will be challenged, at least in some sectors, over the next couple of quarters. But from an asset allocation perspective, kind of benchmark-type weight in equity and equity income-type product, uh, marginally underweight in pure fixed income and a slight overweight to, to near-term cash and cash equivalent assets. And I think one other important point is, is that an asset allocation doesn't mean it needs to be static. You know, we can argue 60-40 portfolio and, and how that works, but I, what I would argue has died is the idea that you can just leave an allocation and be done. So maybe, James, you can also talk just a little bit about the importance of being tactical within an asset allocation and how you think about making the appropriate moves as data can, continues to come in. Yeah, but as you know, we have a very robust set of screens and, and tools that we use to make asset allocation decisions in our multi-asset class income strategy, but the most important of which is, is really the judgment of the team, uh, both the equity team and the bond team meeting collaboratively bi-monthly to talk about the interaction in the capital markets between debt and equity. And we know post-2008 that those, uh, those interactions between debt and equity on capital structures are very, very important to the health of companies, to the dividend paying power of companies, and to the relationship between income in different parts of the balance sheet. It's really been the the, the art of, of asset allocation within the income space. The, in the asset allocation in, this, in strategic income, for example, we're seeing relatively dear corporate bond spreads and, and relatively um, robust earnings in the equities that we own and the compounding of the dividends. So as spreads have tightened, even in the face of Fed tightening, uh, we have shedded a little bit of the corporate exposure in favor, in favor of the equity side, which continues to pay and compound. As we move closer to an economic slowdown towards the beginning of the end of the Fed cycle, which we think probably happens sometime this summer, if we get a commensurate widening of corporate bond spreads, meaning they go to more longer term or even higher uh, spreads relative to history, we are going to be much more productive on corporate credit. And, and I assume, Bert, the, the, the same would hold for municipals as well in our multi-asset class income strategies. As municipals get cheaper, if you will, we'll allocate more heavily towards those relative to stocks. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Right now, we have an overweight to clean, very high-grade, predictable cash flow types of credits. So we've got a lot more double A AA and triple A's than we do single A. And I think that there's going to be continued pressure in certain sectors in our market, particularly hospitals that are under pressure because of some changes going on post the pandemic. And then a lot of contract workers putting uh, margin pressure on that sector. 
And then also an interesting part of the market that's relatively small is subject to AMT. The AMT bonds are offering some attractive yield uh, components. But you had mentioned a barbell earlier. We believe that it makes sense right now based on valuations in the yield curve in munis. A barbell structure makes sense because one year uh, AAA rated munis are yielding about a 320. The taxable equivalent yield on that is superior to a T-bill, it's about a 530. And then we are combining that with longer intermediates, five, 15 to 20 year munis that are yielding greater than 325. So that belly of the yield curve for munis is relatively rich and we're, we're avoiding that part of the market. Yeah, and maybe even building on that too, you mentioned supply and demand earlier in the conversation, and we've talked a little bit about the different landing scenarios, pick your pick your adjective. You know, I guess how would you assess the impact to the muni market um, depending on the type of landing that we ultimately have? And then also how will supply and de- demand dynamics impact your market? So we watch the demand side of that equation pretty closely on a weekly basis. We're looking at flows in and out of our market on a, a muni fund basis and it's been somewhat mixed last year was significantly negative but we're starting to see some retail appetite on the demand side but i still think that there is a wait and see attitude that retail investors have got uh, with regard to the fed on the supply side we've been expecting a ramp up in supply with infrastructure being talked about however issuers are uh, hesitant i think to come to market uh, the first two months of the year issuance was down about 15 percent uh, compared to the previous year this month we're expecting a, a decent jump so i think that would create a buying opportunity once supply starts to ramp up. So this week and next week, there's some relatively large deals, which is going to create some opportunity. Yeah. And one last question. Why, why do you think it is that there is some hesitancy? Because you hear so much about municipalities being flush with cash after COVID and, and, and you know, growing tax bases. What do you think drives some of that hesitancy to issue new bonds? I think the debt ceiling talk kind of scares some issuers, the volatility that would be implied with that. And then also, I think that issuers, since they are flushing cash, there's not a lot of incentive to go out and raise a lot more capital at this point. So, And then in the past, refunding deals or refinancing deals were making up about 50% of all issuance. Now, the refunding math doesn't make Uh, as much sense because if you could have refunded, you probably already have. So the deals that are coming to market today are for new money projects. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a good segue to just think about the economy a little bit more broadly speaking. And I think what strikes me a lot is, is kind of the disconnects that we have right now between survey data that I think has been painting a pretty volatile picture, maybe a little bit more of a negative picture versus the hard data that still continues to hold up remarkably well. And James, maybe you can highlight some of the biggest risks that you see right now on the economic front. Well, Matt, you hit the nail on the head. The economy continues along. It is rotating, however. We're seeing uh, the stay-at-home bubble kind of burst. We're seeing people out and about moving, uh, hospitality, travel, those sorts of things. The pent-up demand for that continues, and people are consuming uh, at really pretty astonishing rates, given where I think we are in the cycle. How long that lasts is, is perhaps anybody's guess, but I suspect it slows and perhaps uh, slows relatively materially. I think the biggest risk to the economy 
are one, the labor market not being fully engaged and, and the difficulty and the tightness of the labor market, continuing to put pressure on, on corporate margins and, and, and earnings, if you will. And I think the other thing that is perhaps more underneath the surface is let's just remind ourselves that we went from a, a market with pretty much free capital, free money, uh, for a very long period of time to a highly restrictive and, and getting more restrictive policy. The LIBOR rate, the SOFA rate, those types of things are approaching 5%. We know that in a quest for yield, there was a massive uptick in private debt, in, in private equity, and things like that that are more opaque. And we know a lot of these products and things are highly levered. The cost of leverage has gone up materially. Is there something in those markets, those more opaque markets, that can be disruptive to the system going forward? Maybe not the base case, but something that I certainly watch very, very carefully. And I think reaffirms my belief that public transparency, public markets, well-executed, separate account, individual assets, that level of transparency, particularly in volatile markets, is absolutely key to investor peace of mind. And in fact, I think investor experience and performance. Now, it's a great point. And I guess the flip side to that, um, that people are maybe finally starting to ask now is, what could go right? Um, you know, you look at the economy, what, what could happen that, that allows us to navigate a soft or softish landing? Why might this time be different? I, I think the Fed, it, the Fed can, can do it. I think the Fed can get inflation under control. I don't think it's a permanent condition that we are going to be in a 5 6% inflation environment. I don't think we're going to go back to a 2%. But if we think about economic history and financial market history, the Fed could begin relaxing the, the tightness sometime maybe early next year if there is a recession. We could get a positively sloped yield curve. We could get some level of base inflation, which, by the way, we've been trying to do for a couple of decades, right? This is this was sort of the objective. So I think the, the economic scenario is we are redeploying capital more efficiently. The free money era is over and companies and investors uh, return capital to their proper allocations, if you will. That means companies spend on R&D, they spend on CapEx, they spend on automation. All of those things are productive that we simply have a market where you can use <laughs> sort of facetiously the SPY uh, ETF as, as your index, as, as your money market fund. You know, those days are over. The capital markets now look more normal. They look more balanced. And I think capital allocation and economic wealth creation is served by a more normal macroeconomic, more normal fiscal, and more normal monetary environment over the course of the next handful of years. No, I think that's really well said. And I know we're running out of time, so I want to get some final thoughts here. And really, to convey to our listeners, what parts of the market are you most excited about right now? If you're sitting on the sidelines, you know, what is a good time to come off the sidelines? What's still out there as an investor? So, Bert, maybe we can start with you on, on the muni side and then close with, with James. Yeah, I, I'm, we're still advocates of the high-grade, clean credits at this point, particularly you know during an economic slowdown and the potential recession. I would not chase the risky sectors in high yield. Um, we have an underweight to healthcare, and we currently are overweighting local GOs that are backed by property taxes or avalorum taxes in states that are favorable demographically, like Texas and Florida and Utah and the Carolinas, where you're seeing a migration out of high-tax states into more tax-friendly states. So if you live in California and you want to 
own munis, I still would do 100% California at this point to avoid that 13.3% state income tax. The governor is talking about adding a wealth tax out there, so there's that much more incentive. The Cal market trades richer at lower yields because of that demand, not necessarily because it's a stronger credit. But there, I think there's still opportunity in our market in a high-grade market. But I like the long end and I like the short end at this point. Great. And James, final word. I would simply say bonds are back. Their rightful place as a store of value, diversifier, and income generator has been reestablished. And it's being reestablished in a very quick fashion. And despite the, the pain of 2022, mathematically speaking and, and, and practically speaking, that rip the Band-Aid off approach uh, that the Fed and the markets have had is actually going to be productive. So I'm most excited about the fact that fundamentals are going to matter again, asset allocation, all the things that, that are evergreen and in the DNA of our firm and I think of our firm proper uh, now are, are more balanced. And it's sort of back to... Uh, really more normal macroeconomic and, and, and capital flows. And, and that, to me, is absolutely should be encouraging to every one of our listeners. It certainly is to me and my team. No, that is perfect. You heard it, everyone. Bonds, bonds are back. Asset allocation matters again. But thank you so much, James. Thank you, Bert, for your time today. This has been a great discussion. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. You can find additional episodes and market insights at marketsinfocuspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Matt Orton. Podcasts are for informational purposes only. This channel is not monitored by Raymond James Investment Management. Please visit marketsandfocuspodcast.com for additional disclosure. This material is a general communication being provided for information purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from Raymond James Investment Management or any of its affiliates to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and you should not rely on it in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and make their own determinations together with their own professionals in those fields. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not reliable indicators of current and future results. Past performance does not guarantee or indicate future results. There is no guarantee that these investment strategies will work under all market conditions, and each investor should evaluate their ability to invest for the long term, especially during periods of downturn in the market. Investing involves risk and may incur a profit or loss. Investment returns and principal value will fluctuate so that an investor's portfolio when redeemed may be worth more or less than their original cost. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss. 